0: Well, what is up, Collective? Come on. Yes. Hey, I am so glad that all of you are here with us in Quincy, but I am especially glad that you guys in Macomb and Kirksville are with us tonight. Can we give them a hand? Is that not awesome? It is, it is so good to be with you and uh, kick off this series for the good. And I uh, I'm one that loves stories, and so can I tell you guys a story about me and my oldest son? Is that all right with you? Okay, good. Four of you agree, so that's good. Hopefully, the other campuses, you guys are like, yes, because I'm going to tell it for you, all right? So my family loves Disney World. Any Disney fans? Okay, good. We got a few of you. We got a few of you. So we made a decision when my wife was pregnant with our youngest son, Levi, that we were going to do like this This trip with our oldest son that we're sure he's gonna remember, he was two and a half, and we're like, oh, he'll remember it, we're gonna take a a trip to Disney World, he'll love it. So we go, and at two and a half years old and a pregnant wife, you really can't ride a lot of rides. But you can go and ride like all the little kitty rides. And so we go and we ride It's a Small World, no joke, like 25 times. It was my son's favorite ride because, like, all of the little dolls in there are all his size. And, like, the song played in my mind forever and ever. Don't worry, I won't sing it because it's already in your head. I don't have to. But, like, he loved this ride. So, we decide once my youngest son was old enough to, like, walk around, let's take them back. So, it's like two and a half years later. My oldest is about five years old. And we're going, I think that he can probably enjoy more parts of Walt Disney World now. So we go into the Magic Kingdom and I'm pumped because I've got a kid now, I love Disney, I've got a kid that's gonna be able to take in the Disney experience. So we get on Main Street and you know what my oldest son does? Dad, I wanna go to It's a Small World. Like he remembered it. And I'm like, how did you remember this? And so we beeline It's a Small World. Now, we had fast passes for a brand new ride called the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, and I'm like watching my watch, and I'm like, okay, we've got about an hour before our fast pass is done, but we can squeeze in a ride at It's a Small World. So we go, and he and my youngest son, who like is a year and a half, two years old, they're loving It's a Small World. I'm like, okay, this is great. And my son's looking at me. He's like, dad, best ride ever. Not really, but like I'm glad you like it. And so it's this cool dad moment, my son's like hugging me, and I'm like getting teary-eyed thinking about this is a special moment. We make it all the way around, and my son throws a colossal fit. My oldest son, five years old. He's like, I wanna ride again. I'm like, Will, I promise you bud, Like there's other rides that are way better than It's a Small World. No, It's a Small World is the best ride at Disney World dad. I'm looking at the guy, I'm like, is there any way we can ride? And he's like, no, sir, you're going to have to get out and go all the way back through the line. Like, there's there's no one here. Nobody opens the park and runs to It's a Small World. Don't know if you know this, except for our family. And so I'm like, can we just stay on? He's like, no, you can't. So we get out, and he's like, Dad, I want to ride it again. We ride it again. No joke, we ride this bad boy three times in a row. We're getting close to missing our fast passes for this brand new ride that I woke up at midnight to get fast passes for my family that I'm all excited for, and I'm like, Will, listen, this is the last time we're gonna ride it. Okay, Dad, we ride it, guess what happens at the end of the ride? Colossal fit, like he's so upset, Dad, why are you doing this to me? So I do what any good loving Dad does, I grab my kid by both arms and I lift him up and I'm squeezing him. You know, dads know how to not put marks on their kids when they squeeze them hard, you know? And so don't record that part. But like we, 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 I take him and I'm like, you listen to me, son. You know, you are going to love another ride if you will just trust me. Like, it's a small world's not the greatest ride at Walt Disney World. And like, you start to feel everybody get closer to you, trying to see if they're gonna videotape or not. And so I'm going through this, I'm like, we're going. My wife's like, Matt, what are you doing? I'm like, we're riding Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. So I got my son, and I'm grabbing him, and I'm walking through this line, and I'm watching the cast members are like, um, should we step in? Like, is there, is there a time that we should get into this? We get to the front of the ride, and my son is throwing the biggest fit that you've ever seen. We get, we get sat in the very front row of Seven Dwarfs Mine Train and my son is losing it as they're buckling us in. And they come up and they're like, um, sir, would you like to step off the ride? And I look at this poor little 17-year-old cast member and I said, no. No, we're not getting off. We have been waiting for this ride. We're gonna ride it right now. And my son's looking at me. He's crying, and I'm like, best dad ever, right? Like, I am ruining Walt Disney World for my son. And so we get strapped in, and I'm watching these people look at me, and I'm starting to have this moment where, like, am I destroying my kid right now? Like, is this a bad thing? What am I doing? But I know in my heart of hearts, my intentions, I think, are right. And so we start riding this ride, and my son just gets, like, death grip scared as we start going up. And if anybody's ever ridden this ride, it's not like a crazy roller coaster. It's a roller coaster little kids can ride. Like, it's fun. But we go up, and I mean, he's just freaking out. So we go and we ride the whole ride, and, or we get to this part, excuse me. We get to this part where we go inside, and it's kind of slow, and they're singing hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go, all that sort of thing. And we're going through it, and I'm like, I look over, and I'm like, Will, how do you feel? And he says, I'm like, okay, we'll see how this goes. So we get all the way to the end and I look at my son and I said, hey bud, how was that? He goes, dad, that was the best ride ever. And I said, I told you, I told you it was awesome. So we get to the end, I wanna ride it again. And we go through the whole thing again, and I turn into the worst dad ever. Anyways, but, you know, like we go through this whole thing. He throws a huge fit. I've got to get him off the ride, tell him we can't ride this one like we ride. It's a small world. That's not the important part of the story. Here's the important part for all of us. I have to wonder if God's ever up in heaven looking down on his children and going, I have so much more in store for you. I have so many good things that I want you to experience. I have so many good things that I want to show you, but you're stuck in your own small world. Like, you're in this spot where you are comfortable with what you've experienced, and you're going, I'm okay right now, and God's going, I've got so much more good planned for you. You know, there's a passage of Scripture In Matthew, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 11, and listen to what Jesus says about your heavenly Father. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I love that phrase, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to his children? God is for your good. God is for our good. God is for the good. And tonight we start this brand new series called For the Good. And you can look at the opening pages of scripture and you'll see in creation as God is creating the world. He says, let there be light. And you know what it says that God notices? He saw that it was what? Good. All the days of creation, it says he saw that it was good. On day six, after he looks and revels in the creation he's made, the pinnacle of it, male and female, you know what it says he does? He sits back and looks at it and says, this is very good. And then in chapter two, in Genesis chapter two, you know what it says God notices? That he notices it's not good for a man to be alone. So he decides to make a helper suitable for him. You see, God noticed that for us to experience good, what do we need to do? We need to live in community. I love this theme for the collective, that we're better together, that when we are doing this, this is the whole point of it. God says it, it's good for us. And then in Genesis chapter three, things change, don't they? You remember. God had told Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. But what do they do? They go to that one tree. They had all the other trees, but they go to that one. Satan deceives Eve. Eve goes and gives this fruit to Adam. And now we have this tension that we all live with every day. The tension between good and evil. And the question we have to answer for ourselves is will we fight for the good in our relationship with God? Because here's the reality. Not everything that we go through in life feels good. Am I right? Like it doesn't feel good when we experience certain things. There's pain that comes. There's suffering that comes. There's disappointment. There's times when you're not the one chosen. There's times when you don't get what you thought you deserved. You didn't, you didn't have your life go the way that you thought it should go. And there's times in those moments when you look at God and you go, God, are you still good? There's a person in Genesis chapter 50. You can turn there if you'd like. In Genesis chapter 50, we find the story of Joseph. We actually see it for the last about 11 chapters of the book, but we're just going to look at the last one. Joseph was a guy who his brothers sold him into slavery because he was his dad's favorite. They sold him into slavery to a group of Egyptian slave traders And he thinks he's completely forgotten. But you know what he does? He chooses chooses good over evil. He's not going to let it make him bitter. He's not going to let it destroy who he is or his faith in a good God. He just decides, you know what, I'm going to look for the good in the middle of this terrible situation. You know what happens? A guy comes through named Potiphar. And he raises Joseph up, lets him be in charge of his whole household. Until one day, Genesis 39, what happens? Potiphar's wife notices that Joseph is ruddy and handsome. I've always said that that's my life verse, by the way. You know, i just I want to embody that. Haven't made it happen yet. I told a guy that, that's ripped and looks really good that it's my life goal to look like him. But maybe we'll see one day. Who knows? Keep keep paying attention, follow me, and see if it happens. But here's the thing, okay? He goes through all this, Mrs. Potiphar. She tries to trap Joseph one day. She tries to get him in bed with her. She rips off his cloak, and Joseph flees. You know what happens? He gets thrown into prison. He's in prison for 14 years. About seven years in, Pharaoh has a baker and a cupbearer that he gets mad at, he throws them down into prison. They have a dream, and you know what? Joseph does for him, he interprets it and tells him this is what happens. And he says, the only thing I want in return is when you get back up to the king's palace, remember me. Guess what happens? They don't remember him. And all through this, Joseph chooses good. Until one day, Pharaoh has a dream, and the baker goes, hey, I remember, there's a guy who's actually in prison well, I think he is. He was there 7 years ago. He can interpret it. So Joseph goes up, interprets this guy's dream, becomes the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. Then a famine sweeps over Israel. And his father sends his son, his sons, Joseph's brothers, to Egypt to go and try to buy grain. And when they come up, Joseph sees them and he begins to weep because he's overwhelmed. And the story plays out, they end up bringing their father to see Joseph, and their father dies. And they're scared that Joseph is going to do something crazy. If you look at the text, I actually want to start in verse 15, Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. It says, when when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said... What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong that we did to him? Listen, they have every right to be scared. They have every right to be there, be going, hey, he's gonna repay us evil for evil. But look what happens. In verse 16, so they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. Skip to verse 18. Says his brothers then came, threw themselves down before him. They say, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for what? You reading? For good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he assured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph, in the middle of a terrible situation, chose good. Chose to see how God was working for good in the middle of a situation that seemed terrible. You know, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 12, where he says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then verse 21, don't miss it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God is for the good. We see this no better pictured than in the person of Jesus. And in John chapter 10, we find this story of Jesus claiming one of the seven I am statements in the book of John where he says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Notice a couple things here. Jesus is doing a little compare and contrast, right? He's saying, I'm the good shepherd. I'm not like one of these hired hands. And he tells them a hired hand's gonna run away when trouble comes. A hired hand is gonna leave when evil enters the picture, when it seems like there's a bad situation. That person is gonna get as far away from you as they can. You remember what Jesus said in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28? He says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. God himself said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. When Joshua was about to head into the promised land, Jesus tells these people, I'm the good shepherd. And even when a wolf comes, I'm not leaving, I'm working for your good. In this same passage, Jesus gives another I am statement where he says, I am the door or the gate for the sheep. Meaning that at night they would actually find this uh, or make this place out of boulders that was like a huge circle where nothing could come in over the sides and they'd leave an opening at the front. This was the door or the gate. And a good shepherd, when the sheep were sleeping inside the pen, you know where he would put himself? At the door. So if there was anything that wanted to come in to harm them, it would have to go through the door. So when Jesus says, I'm the door for the sheep, I am the good shepherd, he's saying there's other shepherds out there that are gonna run from you, there's other shepherds out you that are gonna flee when hard things come, and let me tell you, there's things in life that we run to as shepherds that are not good. But you have a God who is for the good, who's always going to be with you no matter what comes in this life. Joseph knew it. You know, there's people that run to all kinds of crazy shepherds. We run to addictions, we run to drugs, we run to alcohol, we run to sex, we run to all these things that we think that somehow will provide for us, give us that desire that we're looking for, fill this need in our hearts. But what happens when the real trouble comes? Is that buzz gonna fix it for you? No, it might numb the pain for a little while. But you feel worse after it's over, right? Is pursuing those unhealthy relationships, getting involved in situations that you shouldn't be involved in, is that a good shepherd for you? Has that worked out well? No, when the real trouble comes, what happens? When the wolf gets here, it flees. But God, Jesus, is the good shepherd, and when those bad things come, you know what he says he does? He stays. But beyond that, The next verse, he actually said it in verse 11 too, but look at verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. A hired hand doesn't have a true, intimate, personal relationship with his sheep. But a good shepherd, he can call them by name. He knows them. There's a a passage that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 15 where he tells a parable about a lost sheep. And it says he leaves the 99 to go after the one lost sheep. Why? Because he knows its name. It's important to him because he's a good shepherd. He goes on in verse 15, just as a father knows me and I know the father, this intimate, personal relationship. And look what it says at the end. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Talk about a good shepherd. He's willing to sacrifice himself for you. Now, if I could, I don't know what you guys have all experienced, but I can't think of a time in my life when death has been good. When a loved one that I've known, it's been been good. It might have relieved suffering for them. They might have been old. It might have been something that maybe you can turn out and look at it, but you know, my, my papa, who my son is named after, my oldest son, he died six years ago. I still wish he was here. Every day, there's something that happens in my life that reminds me of my papa. How can death be good? Well, only when it's Jesus dying in our place. The Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. How? In Christ Jesus our Lord. So what that means is the wages, what you and I deserve, what we owe for our sin, for all the things that we've done wrong, is death. So in God's eyes, someone has to die for our sin. Now here's the amazing part. There's also a gift on the other side. There's a free gift of eternal life that only comes in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans six twenty three. But how do we get there? We have to choose, do we want to die for our sins? and the result is punishment in hell for all of eternity, or do we accept this free gift that only comes through Jesus, only comes through a good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, saying, you guys don't deserve this, but I love you this much, that I would be willing to lay down my life for you. You ever wonder why we call it Good Friday? Anybody as a kid struggle with that, like I did, right? Like, you're like, how, how do we call celebrating Jesus dying good? And it doesn't make sense to you until you understand that God is for the good. That the death of one man brought life to all mankind, so that death no longer has power over us, that death no longer has a sting, the grave no longer holds victory over us, but in Jesus and his death for us, now this Friday that all the world looked at and go, man, this is bad, the founder of your faith, he's dead, now we celebrate Good Friday. And you know what? That's pretty amazing to me. And again, you got to wonder if God's ever up in heaven looking down on us and go, Will you just trust me that I've got something so much better for you? You know, there's a lot of people that what they've experienced in life. Is maybe a little bit of the thrill of sin, the fun that sin can afford to you for a little while. If sin wasn't fun, none of us would want to do it, right? It wouldn't be a temptation. We can be honest. But maybe tonight's the night where you realize that God is telling you, you don't have to die for your own sins. I've provided a way, a good way for you. And if you've never given your life to Christ, you know what I hope that you do? you experience, you taste and see that the Lord is good, that he offers salvation through his son, the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. Now there's one more verse I want to take you to. It's John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus was telling his disciples in John chapter 16 about how he was about to leave. Now none of them understood what he was talking about. They thought he was just going away for a while. They had no idea he was going to the cross to die for sins. But he tells his disciples this. He says, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away, and unless I go away, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, I don't have time to unpack everything of what this means and every ramification for it. But can I tell you something that's really cool about it? If Jesus was still here in the flesh, if he was just a person, you realize everyone in the world that wanted to come to Jesus would have to find out where he is and go to him. Like, we'd be like, all right, see, Is he over in Jerusalem again today? Did he go up to Galilee? Where is he at? Did he go to Russia? Here they have a lot of lost people. Did he head up there? Like, we're we're trying to find where Jesus is because I need to take you to Jesus. But Jesus tells his disciples, if I go, I'll send something so much better. I will send you the Holy Spirit. And this is how Jesus can promise, I will be with you, all of you, always to the very end of the age. And so we are made this promise that if we put our faith in Jesus, he will forgive us of our sins and give us the promised Holy Spirit. And you know what? To me, that sounds pretty good. That no matter what this world throws at you, no matter what you face, no matter what Wolf comes to you. You know the good shepherd will never leave you, never forsake you. And now we're gonna move into a time of decision. And I wanna tell you tonight, there's two major decisions that you can make. One is if you've never put your faith in Jesus, You've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe tonight when we're talking about the wages of sin is death, you're realizing the Holy Spirit's already convicting you in your heart and going, if I die tonight, my sins are going to make me pay the penalty for my own sin. And I don't want that. I want to accept the free gift that only comes through Jesus. And if that's you tonight, in just a few moments, we're going to have a time where we get to respond. There's going to be people up here in the front. There's going to be some people over here by the baptistry and this is your time. This is your moment to come and say, I wanna give my life to Christ. We'd love to help you make that decision to become a Christian tonight. The second one is for those of you that are Christians. And I don't know what you've gone through. I'll be honest with you, I've been going through a really tough season. There's been times that it's difficult to see that God is for the good with all the bad things that have happened in my life. But can I be honest with you? He's good. And when I read a passage like I read earlier in Genesis 2 that God looked down at man and realized it's not good for man to be alone, I have felt that in this season. Where good friends have come beside me and prayed with me and put their arm around me and maybe that's you tonight. And you just need to respond and you need to 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 just come up to the front and pray on the steps and say, God, I need you. I need to to see your goodness because I'm having a hard time right now. You can be honest. God's good with that. And there'd be some people that would love to just put their hand on your shoulder and pray with you and see that God is good even when your circumstances feel like he's not. So let's pray and then we'll respond together. All right, let's stand and pray tonight. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, you are good. Even when it seems like our life isn't good. Even when we've experienced rejection, when we're feeling shame or pain or guilt. Lord, you're good to us. And I pray that tonight we would come to you we would come to the good shepherd who knows his sheep and calls them by name. And God, I pray for every person here that's never given their life to you. They've never, they've never become a Christian before. That tonight would be the night where they would feel you coming after that lost sheep. They would feel the tug on their heart and realize that their sin separates them from you. But God, you don't want to leave them in their sin. But you provided a gift for him through Jesus because you are a good God who loves to give good gifts to his children. And God, if there's someone here that's never received the gift of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit, I pray they would come tonight and do, that, do what they need to do. But God, I pray for all of us. Let us respond accordingly to what you want us to do tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.